0: This podcast is brought to you by cyber attacks can be prevented. Checkpoint, you deserve the best security.
1: As 2022 draws to a close, Israel swears in a new government. It's unholy. I'm Jonathan Friedland of The Guardian in London.
0: And I'm Yunit Levy of Channel 12 in Tel Aviv. Two Jews on the news from Keshet podcast. Israel indeed has a new government. I should begin with a disclaimer, Jonathan. I have been on air for I think almost eleven hours straight, so uh, my ability to form sentences weakens at this late hour of Thursday. But I will try.
1: Um, I really will try. It's it's, it's immense. I mean, long time <laughs> listeners are used to the marathon ordeal you have on election night, but perhaps <laughs> fewer of them, certainly outside Israel, don't see you less aware that you do a kind of similar length. Process um, when a new government is sworn in. And that's happened quite a lot in recent years too. Maybe, you know, and certainly now it's a big one. Huge amounts of attention this time, um, it's fair to say, more than uh, in past cases, just because of the complexion of this government. I mean, fair to say again that outside Israel, particularly a lot of people feeling not that cheery with this news, despite the season of goodwill and so on. This is being filed under sort of troubling news for a lot of people watching Israel abroad. Some figures who are taking ministerial posts in this government, who uh, from a a section of the Israeli far right previously shunned as, you know, racist and unacceptable partners, now they're in the centre of government. And that has caused alarm among a lot of uh, people outside the country, including people who consider themselves Israel's friends. So lots of attention. It's made news, broadcasts, and bulletins around the world. But you are obviously there, absolutely ringside, and commentating, narrating, presenting it for the Israeli public. So, look, we on this podcast have told people for many, many weeks that this was coming. It's not a big surprise. People know the big headlines about Itamar Ben Gvir, the uh, far right leader who's going to be, you know, public security or security minister. They know that Netanyahu is back, sixth term. What are the other big things that have happened in the last 24, twenty four, forty years making the one, news there?
0: W- the one thing I would f- just focus on for a minute here is the picture, right? The ceremonial picture at the president's residence. You always have the the new uh, government's, you know, after the swearing in in the Knesset, having this photo taken, and it's amazing that you just it can freeze frame on that and say Netanyahu has been prime minister with the first Netanyahu government in 1996. This is the sixth Netanyahu government 2022. When you look at the picture from 1996 and you look at the picture today, the only person still in the picture is Netanyahu himself. That is amazing. The rest of the people are either in the Likud, but not ministers this time like Tzachi Negbe or Yuli Edelstein, either out of politics or are not alive anymore. The only person still alive and kicking is Netanyahu himself. That is really an amazing thing to say. This is indeed uh, very much a far-right government, although you can say the Itzhak Shamir government of 1988 was pretty far-right. I think what changed is... That the right moved to the right in Israel. But of course you have Betzalus Motrich and you have Itamar Ben Gvir very much uh, to the far right of the Israeli map. It is also government with 30 ministers, including Netanyahu himself, only five women. And a majority, I think we can say for the first time, of religious or ultra-Orthodox members and not of the secular uh, Israelis. That is also something to point out. So that was the picture of the day. It's very interesting that in the days leading up to this uh, government swearing in, and again, we should say Netanyahu has a coalition of 64. That's pretty stable. But he found himself kind of having to explain a lot and to clarify a lot. So the major thing that got a lot of headlines is the coalition agreement uh, with uh, Likud and Yadut Torah? By the way, these agreements are not legally binding, but they are... uh, uh they are important, and what was found in that uh, coalition agreement was an amendment to the law that says you can discriminate if it goes against your religion or harms your religious beliefs. That sounds pretty bad, because quite honestly it is pretty bad, and you had Netanyahu trying to explain, after members of Knesset coming from, especially Bezalus Motric's party, trying to say why it makes sense for a doctor if it goes against his religious belief to refuse treatment, or someone who's a business owner to refuse a gay couple... Again, this sounds bad because it is bad, and Netanyahu had to say, there will be no discrimination in my government, but this stays in the agreement. So we shouldn't probably mention that because that made a lot of headlines uh, since Sunday.
1: Yeah, I mean, Yahudu Hattora obviously being one of the uh, ultra-Orthodox, strictly Orthodox parties doing those kind of deals. I mean, as from what I've been seeing is that it is some of that small print that's been making news, some of the concessions in a way mm-hmm. that Netanyahu has made to keep these either religious parties or far-right parties on side. And that is going to get, again, a lot of attention in these coming weeks, partly because the headline development that he was going into government with these people, that was already known. So now people are kind of checking the terms and conditions and seeing some of these policy changes. And, you know, there are quite a few that have leapt out um, at me. Mm -hmm. I mean, and I think these are going to be, you know, people will be uh, paying attention to them You've mentioned obviously this point about discrimination, but for some shocking ones in there, the incitement to racism was always historically grounds for disqualification of parties that sought to enter the Knesset. It's, ba- it's part of the basic law that you know if a party was found guilty of that and two or three other things, they couldn't run right. for office, and the you know and they would be the elections commission wouldn't bar them. It seems that there's a clause in the coalition agreement between. Likud and the Ben Gvir crowd, saying that's no longer grounds to disqualify a candidate or a list. That is what in other words, yeah, that
0: is what Ben Gvir wanted to put in. Netanyahu kind of blocked that because he understood what is going to happen. So he said, "Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna rewrite the law," uh, but but it's not exactly what Ben Gvir wanted. But but you're right to point out that it yeah. did uh, as well make headlines uh, for sure.
1: So, I mean, and just, uh, I mean, what are some of the other things that leap out? Well, you tell me some of the things that leap out to you. But, you know, there's already worry about Betzal al this seat he's going to have in the defence ministry with, a, with, you know, authority over the lives of Palestinians in the West Bank. This is a guy who really is, is more or less admitted to having racist prejudice against Arabs, doesn't want Arab women sharing maternity wards with Jewish women, and he's going to be in charge there. You've mentioned what I always think of as the sort of gay cake principle. A private business doesn't have to provide a service for, you know, for example, a gay couple like the famous gay cake case actually in the UK and in the United States.
0: But it is definite that what is what is the issue here, I'm, go, I'm going back to the discrimination law, because that could also lead to discrimination against women. I mean, this whole thing is very, very problematic. Again, you have Netanyahu explaining that that will not happen. We should point out, uh, uh, Jonathan, just to make a point of how Israel is a complex country. Today saw a historic vote... And the Speaker of Parliament is going to be, for the first time, an openly and proud gay man named Amir Ohana, who's one of Netanyahu's supporters. He is in no way a liberal, right? He's a a conservative, but he is openly gay. When he first entered the Knesset, you had members of United Torah Judaism leaving the Knesset plenum because they didn't want to hear his speech. Today, by the way, they did turn their heads, but they stayed in the Knesset plenum. This is... A milestone for Israel, even as we speak of all of these problems and all of what can be or could per- be perceived as discrimination law, this is an amazing thing. And it just, again, it, it shows you how much uh, Israel is, is, a, is a complex country.
1: Maybe I'm getting cynical in my old age, but it struck me no, as being I think so. a play that Netanyahu would have appealed to Netanyahu because I don't want to use that phrase about pinkwashing, but he has got a, a proper homophobe, several actually, but one really overt homophobe in the mm-hmm. form of this chap, Avi Oz. We've spoken mm-hmm. about him before. He's a proper homophobe. And one of the plays that Netanyahu has been making these last weeks is to try and you know give a brush up to the image of his incoming government, to the international audience watching. And he's been doing these This sort of podcast roadshow, speaking to lots of US podcasters, trying to and saying often, Look, I'm going to be in charge, it's not going to be as bad as you've heard. It seems to me that exactly the thing you would do if you are aware that you have people pushing quite a strongly homophobic agenda inside your government is you would want a bit of you know positive window dressing, somebody who's in an internationally facing job, which speaker can be because the speaker will meet with counterparts around the world and so that way you've got somebody front of house openly gay as you say talking about his husband and so on that offsets the PR hit he is clearly knowing he's taking um, by having these anti-LGBT figures in his government pushing policy that is um, anti-LGBT. so, I mean, so I, I get the significance of that development. It does go to complexity, but it also pr- prods a little cynicism gene that I have somewhere lurking within, i I'm
0: I sense that this government can work very hard, but you're still not going to be pleased. So can I try and sell it to you in a different direction? Bezalel Smotrich writing an op-ed, or someone in his name writing an op-ed, uh, The Wall Street Journal, in which he says quite clearly about Judea and Samaria, this doesn't entail changing the political or legal status of the area. I think that is pretty dramatic. Uh, This is, of course, someone who supports annexation. He will be, as you said, head of the civil administration as well, a minister in the defense uh, ministry, also minister of finance. This is Smoltlich trying to signal to the world that there will be no change, right? There will be, at this point, as he's saying, No annexation, by the way, if we're talking about the coalition agreements, they also state that the sort of last arbiter on this uh, issue will be Netanyahu himself. I will give you a glimpse into the future. Do you want a short glimpse into the future?
1: Yes, I'm fearful, but go for it, yes. (laughs)
0: Trust me, trust me. Let me take your hand and walk you into the cabinet room, in which Netanyahu, I think pretty soon, will sit down his ministers, who are part of the defense cabinet also ben gvir and smotrich the most far right ministers in his in his government and he will tell them this i want normalization with saudi arabia i want an ability to attack iran and for that Ben Gviren Smotrich you are going to have to sit quiet and you're not going to get what you want meaning you're not going to get annexation meaning don't go even don't think about going close to the Temple Mount and changing the status quo there i need you to sit quiet now will they sit quiet is a question but it was it will definitely be something that he will ask uh, them to do
1: yeah ask is the right word there because he can't make demands of them in the way that the Netanyahu of old certainly in some of the previous iterations, those some of those our previous five terms, he could call the shots. He was the boss. He could sack ministers. He could remove parties from his coalition. He had options. Mm-hmm. Not always, by the way, but sometimes. This is not that Netanyahu. He is, as we've said before on the podcast, he's a, something of a prisoner of the right. He needs their votes. And so he can say, look, I want normalisation with Saudi Arabia. And Ben and Smotrich can say, yeah, and we want legalisation of previously illegal settlements and we want uh you know the um the 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 police to be under my direct control if you're Benvig and so on as for the op-ed in the in that Smotrich put his name to i'm struck by that remark of the outgoing defense minister Benny Gantz saying Netanyahu talks responsibly in english and acts irresponsibly in hebrew and it seems to me that Smotrich is probably quite happy saying qu- quite carefully worded promise in the Wall Street Journal is very different from how he's going to act on the ground in Israel and he can say I'm not going to change the political and legal status because the ball game it seems to me has been annexation in in all but name in other words you don't change the formal status but you change the facts on the ground that has been the game of the right so you keep the official picture the same but you do these other changes. Look, let me put to you the sort of big, you know, since you were taking me by the hand and leading me to a more hopeful image, let me put to you the slightly sort of darker image that people have. And it was partly the mood music that when we look at the backstory, the the track record rather, of the likes of Ben Gvier, Smotrich, Avima Oz, we mentioned, I mean, Bengvir, I think, what is this amazing track record of his, that um, that he is a man with 53 indictments and eight convictions for serious offences, and now in charge of the police. We hear of that, and then we hear of this that happened in the days leading up to the formation of this government, this investigation of the Israeli journalist Yisrael Frey, an unusual, you know, bird in the sense of very left-wing and also Haredi, ultra-Orthodox. For a tweet, he did a really poor and you know, misjudged and, and indefensible tweet in September after a terrorist attack was thwarted in which he appeared to big up the would-be terrorist, calling him a hero because he hadn't gone after civilians. He'd only gone after apparently looking for military targets. Put aside the content of the tweet, the point was Frey was then investigated and interrogated by the police, who even used an undercover policeman to lure him into an interrogation. That coupled with the um, police minister, Ben Gavir, wanting to rewrite the rules so he could be in something like operational control of the police. These look like signs of something that I would call urbanisation of Israel and where the normal democratic norms are not respected, where you have a police minister who basically is making himself the police commissioner, you have journalists being interrogated over what they say, you have all the you know bigoted noises off, urging it to be okay for government ministers and policy to discriminate against minorities. All of this makes people like me very queasy, and I would argue that people around the world are, and Jewish communities around the world are feeling very, very apprehensive, if not worse, about this government because of those signs, those straws in the wind.
0: Well, first of all, the interrogation happened before the Netanyahu government was sworn in, just a technicality that should be uh, mentioned. Ben-Gvir indeed wants a lot of power over the police. He did not receive all of the power that he wanted. Some of the change that he wanted, amendments he wanted to make to the law have been curtailed uh, because of uh, legal decisions. So I think that is a process. Again, Itamar Benkvir is a question that it does not yet have an answer. This is a man who rose to fame being this right wing, not even a politician at the beginning, but someone who would like or enjoy making or doing these provocations. This uh, developed over time. And the big question is, is he pragmatic enough to understand that now he is in a very senior position in an Israeli government and he has to change his ways or not? I think that remains to be seen. It's definite that he wants a lot of power. It is also definite that Netanyahu is trying to curtail some of that ambition we don't yet know, like we don't have, what I'm trying to say is we don't have the end of the book written yet. We are still in the very first chapters of the Netanyahu government. I understand the queasiness, right? I mean, it's shared by many Israelis as well, but I think a lot of it is still uh, up in the air. Now, I want to point out, uh, Jonathan, what we're seeing right now, I mean, everything that we're talking about up until this point is still not the most important thing on the agenda of this Netanyahu government the most important thing for Netanyahu is the judicial reform and for the first time there is uh, actually a combination between many forces on the right who always wanted to curtail the power of the supreme court and Netanyahu himself who uh, many would say wants to uh, weaken the supreme court because of his own trial that is still uh, continuing that is the most important thing that will happen the most uh, dramatic reform that will happen in Israel you have Yariv Levine, who is not only Netanyahu's loyalist, but he will be the justice minister who wants to uh, take these reforms forward. I will tell you that four years ago, he refused Netanyahu's suggestion for him to be justice minister because he felt like he couldn't actually implement these reforms, now he took this job upon himself, which means that he thinks that this is the time to do it. We should mention one more person that kind of surprised us this morning during the broadcast, and that is Ron Dermer, a name that you probably remember. Of course, he was Israel's ambassador uh, to Washington and became at some point a persona non grata by the Obama administration after orchestrating the famous speech Netanyahu gave when Obama was still president, basically against uh, Obama uh, in his uh, uh, speech to Congress. Then he was a persona non grata. Now I think Washington actually, when they have people like ben Smothrich, Smotrich, are uh, thrilled to, or maybe not thrilled, but uh, could uh, work with uh, um, Delmel, who is officially the Minister of Strategic Affairs, but uh, for all uh, purposes will actually be the Foreign Minister of Israel, the closest person in this government to Netanyahu.
1: You are absolutely right to mention him. Also right, really, to mention the point about the assault on the justice system that could be coming, partly because we should be upfront about this. That's partly why this government is the government it is. I mean, the complexion it has is because those are the parties that agreed to give Netanyahu what he wants, which is to help him get off the legal hook. That he's in and possibly get this get this trial derailed. And other potential partners for Netanyahu on the left or center weren't willing to do that. And so that is why, despite the world of pain he may be entering here, Netanyahu was prepared to you know, shake hands with Smotrich and ben Gvir and the others, because they are going to give him what he needs, which is potentially that get out of jail free card, and to change the legal rules to help him. So that is absolutely crucial. But I think that sort of makes the point I was trying to make before, which is about urbanisation. In fact, it's the best example. So, you know yes there's bengvir running the police but bigger is the idea of politicians meddling with the legal system to make it more pliant to their control that to me is the heart of what the orban project symbolizes in uh, hungary there's similar projects in poland and elsewhere and that is what is chilling uh, to somebody like me but here's the question I want to ask you because you're there and I'm not so yaelapid says The outgoing prime minister says, look, the government established is dangerous, extreme, irresponsible. This will end badly, he says. Now, obviously, that's what he wants. He even said, look, I will be back talking about his government, you know, maybe, big underlined. Um, But the bet I think he's making is the image which you've described expressed in that picture of a whole lot of more orthodox and more male government ministers I look at some of these ministers and some of the agenda they're proposing in terms of, you know, scrap, whether it's scrapping the Pride March or, you know, some of these calls that Maoz has made to bar women from serving in the Israeli military. And to me, they look, to me, they look like Jewish Taliban, these people. And I'm wondering if there is a body of secular voters in Israel who previously went with Netanyahu or one of the satellite parties of the right who will look at this government, and as you absolutely rightly say, we don't yet know what they're going to do, but just if they go on the trajectory that they have from their backstory appear to be on, and we'll say, no, I don't want this. This is a uh, fine for Iran, maybe in Afghanistan. We don't want this in Israel. And they pull back, and suddenly our body of voters, secular voters, who previously were with the right, do they switch and go to Lapid? And I just wonder if the right In Israel, is 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 going to overshoot here, or whether Lapid is sort of whistling in the dark here, and that is overly hopeful for him to imagine that.
0: Well, look, I think you're you're putting uh, the finger on something that's very important, and that is the issue of religion and state. There are a lot of voters in the Likud who are completely secular and not religious. They don't like the fact that a lot of the ultra orthodox parties are getting huge budget. They don't like the fact that a lot of uh, the students in the ultra-Orthodox system are not going to be studying core studies. And they especially don't like the fact that what we're going to see soon is a law that's uh, going to be created to officially exempt ultra-Orthodox from a military service, this all can indeed enrage many people in Netanyahu's camp, for sure. I will tell you that there are many things that you see written down that won't happen. The fact that Avimoz doesn't like the fact that women are serving in the military, tough. Women are going to continue serving in the military in Israel. You're saying, you know, things like Iran, things like Taliban, we are miles and miles and miles away from all of that, right? I mean, this is still a democratic country, still many of the things are are in place. And Netanyahu knows that this is an important thing. He doesn't want to lose his voters. He doesn't want to lose support. So this is all, you know, again, we are in the very first chapters of this book. There is a lot of trepidation. People who are not in the Netanyahu camp are extremely concerned. I'm not trying to sort of sugarcoat this in any way. I don't know where this is heading, but there are certain things that I know for sure that are not going to happen. By the way, you mentioned the Israeli left. I think the Barbara Tuchman award for March of Folly should be rewarded. And we said this before, and we shall say this again, to Mirav Micheli, the head of the Labour Party, who did not merge with Meretz before the elections, right? Everyone told her there is going to be a catastrophe here, and she refused to listen just to make this point Netanyahu maybe sh- still would have been the prime minister but he would have had a coalition of 61 a very uncomfortable coalition he now has a very comfortable coalition and that I think we should remember when we think about you know what where Israel is heading There is going to have to be this reckoning in the center left where they are going and how are they going to, you know, deal with so many of the reforms that uh, that Netanyahu and his government uh, want to uh, set in place.
1: I couldn't agree more. Um, uh, I, and I have been thinking exactly similar thoughts about that, that this is massively on the parties of the Israeli center-left uh, who didn't get their act together, and they should be thinking of that today, and I'm did sure you, they did are. You,
0: did you like the Barbara Tuchman March of Folly Award? Do you think we made institute a new sort of mensch chutzpah award and the Barbara well, Tuchman March of Folly Award? I, I, I loved it because it,
1: it seamlessly took us to our, <laughs> uh, our distribution of awards. It's a shorter than usual episode, this week because... This is short, um, people, man?
0: Oh, my God. Okay.
1: Be- but this because is people short. outside Israel are trying to uh, have a something of a holiday break. So we're keeping it a little bit shorter, but it does take us seamlessly to awards. I am going to be the awards panel for this week because you have been on air for 11 hours straight. And so I think it's fair that we give you a tiny bit of a break. So first off, for chutzpah, very, very little competition. And we did... The committee did trade messages uh, in advance and there was a unanimity for the award to go to George Santos, the newly elected Republican congressman for Long Island in New York State. Uh, his entire CV, resume and life story has been unravelling. Uh, he claimed for himself quite a nice biography, including a very moving, affecting Jewish story on top of everything else he claimed. Uh, it's unravelled too. His defence was, no, no, I never said I was Jewish. I just said I was Jewish. <laughs>
0: I mean, we are not is. two Jews on the news, we're two Jew hyphens on the news. I mean, that is great. That He wrote it's, this for us. This story is it, written for our chutzpah ward. It's so it, nice it is, of him, it, actually.
1: It really is. If you open up the dictionary, you would find that as a definition. An adaptation of the joke, of course, by the British-Jewish uh, satirist Jonathan Miller, who said, I'm not Jewish, I'm Jewish. It had great meaning and resonance when he said it. That is not what Santos was trying to do. He was trying to wriggle out with, with absolutely Olympian levels of chutzpah. So he gets that award. As you heard, no contest there. As for Mensch, uh, we obviously are going to, we wanted to make and will make a mention of Pele. Still, some argument rages about whether he is the greatest footballer of all time, but certainly up there in that pantheon. And and since we've talked about the World Cup a lot, lots of people will be thinking about Pele. But I thought we might want to give a special mention to Greta Thunberg. She has uh, been a candidate for... Mentioned before for her environmental activism, as you can imagine, but this time it's something else she did. It's for her sort of social media game that just deserves huge credit, which is that she had been taunted by. Well, I'm tempted to call him a sort of online troll, but you can imagine the guy, the guy called Andrew Tate, tweeted her saying, "Hi, Gre- hello, Greta Thunberg. I have 33 cars. And my Bugatti has." then gives a figure for the massive emissions. My two Ferraris have this high emissions. He, please provide your email address, he said to her, so I can send a complete list of my car collection and their respective enormous emissions. So he was being the kind of guy who thinks it's great to be responsible for an enormous carbon footprint. And Greta Thunberg replied, yes, please do enlighten me. Email me at smalldickenergy at getalife.com. Now, pedants have pointed out that that would mean that she's, that's her email address. So that doesn't really work. But anyway, the gag worked. It was a put down uh, referencing the kind of guy who feels he's got to have 33 enormous cars. Why might he feel that need? Um, Greta Thunberg's uh, tweet anyway got some nearly half a million retweets and sort of won Twitter for the week. So a little mention Award on its way to her. Um, I think really a bit of a Mench Award should be going to you too Yonit Levy on <laughs> air for a marathon uh, as you brought news of Israel's new government um, so you should be taking a well deserved uh, break I think.
0: Y- this is what, you know what's lovely about this that I was going to give you the mention Award for the fact that we yanked you away from your holiday to do this uh, special episode so I think you deserve it my friend and not me. I'm used to being on air for hours and hours and hours you know detailing Israel's political turmoil which I don't think ended today but yeah definitely so I think the bench award goes to you and uh, we should end our um episode i think no some of us we have should. to go to we, sleep
1: <laughs> you you need to go to sleep you're right i did interrupt the vacation we thought this was big news the unfolding the appearance the unveiling of a new israeli government especially some of that detail that we've got into you and i are going to talk about it a lot i think in 2023 that is when we will next be back if you have enjoyed this podcast all through 2022 do feel free to tell your friends do do a review online wherever you get your podcast we are grateful. It all helps.
0: And we will thank Gaia Glazer, Omer Primat, Rom Bashan. We will meet in 2023, Jonathan.
1: We will see you then. You need to have a good what remains of 2022. <laughs> you too.
0: This podcast is brought to you by cyber attacks can be prevented. Checkpoint. You deserve the best security.